Thanks for joining us for another Community Matters. Richard Pyatt here. Glad to have you with us. The program is powered by Lakeview Ford Lincoln. Downtown Battle Creek, heard on 95.3 WBCK, Saturday mornings between 8 and 8.30, and anytime at battlecreekpodcast.com. Glad you're with us today. Our guest is Battle Creek Police Chief Jim Blocker. Chief, good morning. Hey, good morning, Richard. It's really good to be able to speak to you again. Yeah, I was looking forward to this, and and it's been a while since we've chatted. Boy, you've been here a while now. How has the trajectory gone? As you look back on on where we've been and where we are, how do you feel about it, and where have we been? Well, you know, the career trajectory, the profession, you know, I think there are days I think we're getting ahead locally. I think we're doing, uh, of course, I would think this, but, but really it's reflected and even some of our interactions that we're having on a daily basis and comments from, from community members that I think we're doing a lot better. I think this new generation, and I mean it when I say there are very few people left in this building that were hired when I was hired. So we are looking at a practically a new force, uh, nearly 70% with less than five years experience, supervisors with less than nine years experience. But when I think of them, you know, I feared this moment about eight years ago. We knew it was coming. You could see it. And, you know, as boomers, you know, we're like, what's next? Are they going to be able to be as resilient as we were? Are they going to be uh, able to jump in and learn as quickly and even more quickly than we had the opportunity to? Because the time and the zone of risk for today's officer is, is like time now. You're under the gun, under scrutiny and under a camera from the day you step out from the academy and into, you know, a real position. So you got to get it right. I, on the other hand, had the benefit of several years of making some pretty good mistakes and having a forgiving public and forgiving department to help me learn. And those things today may or may not have been so forgivable if seen on camera or whatever, right? And so when I say me, it's, I'm just speaking in general for really our experience as, as older officers. And yet what I'm telling you now, though, is this new generation, these millennials, as we say, they're phenomenal. Their empathy bone, I think, is bigger, uh, longer, if you will. And I think they're able to hit the ground running. They're able to pick up on the technology, use it to their benefit. So we're good. I think tomorrow looks even brighter. We've got some significant emerging leaders within the profession, not just at my level, but across the full spectrum of human services. I see it. I, I'm blessed to be able to have a front seat to it. And I guess as a senior leader uh, in the profession, I think that's a really good thing. Even among all the frustrating things that are going on and all the areas of improvement I'd like to have seen uh, nationally and certainly at our local level, we're in good hands into tomorrow. Well, I appreciate that perspective. I was just on a call with the city manager and she was talking about, just generally speaking, about the priorities at the city level, administration building and focusing on budget. And certainly uh, police, fire, EMS, these things are a significant part of the budget. And she alluded to the challenges that your department has with uh, the notion that a preponderance of your calls are mental health related now, as opposed to maybe uh, some other derivation. How do you view that? And that is, I presume, been a changing trajectory and it's been going up. You know, the answer is that it shouldn't have been a secret because this problem has been emerging all along, but no one actually told us what it was. I mean, I can tell you 20 years ago, we were taking calls for service. And you're like, you know, this person isn't right. I don't know what that means 
that's ill-defined, but this person isn't a criminal. There is something wrong with their mind and, and where they're at. But at the time, of course, you didn't understand, you know, uh, community mental health was, a, was an effort uh, that started back towards the end of the Kennedy administration. It was remarkably unremarkable in terms of a policy and a program at the national and even at the state level. And so what we found is generations or two deep of folks that have been quietly suffering and quietly cared for by their family of mental illness are starting to emerge in a much broader, uh, more open way. We're communicating it. Not only that, we can see it whether it's our homeless population or otherwise, these are broad generalities, but it's here now, it's in our face. And yes, we have to deal with it. The difference now is we recognize it, we understand it better, and that's why we're talking about it. We understand trauma better, we understand how that impacts behavior, we understand poverty. And the challenge is that some of these crises sort of revolve around and we better understand our role in law enforcement. You know, at one time it's like, what was it? Is it illegal? Did they break the law? Um, well, then that's not really us. It is us. And we have to assume that ownership because if it's not us, who else is it going to be? Which, of course, when it comes to mental illness is part of the problem because we have really very few options for folks to get treated long term. And so what is the national answer? It's jail. And we know counties know it. Sheriff Hinckley knows it. Sheriff Saxton, before him, knew it. All the counties around us, all the sheriffs know jail isn't the answer. But frustratingly, it's something we've got to grapple with. We're going to have to spend some money on it as a nation and focus on it. Is these folks at the local level are realizing, well, if jail is it, then we're going to have to make it work. And so in many cases, you've got sheriffs out there building special wings and trying to bring in mental health folks. And then like here in Battle Creek, our summit point, Calhoun County Community Mental Health, as they are uh, known for, they have done just an exceptional job at working with us and many others at recognizing the problem and coming up with long-term solutions to their credit. And so we're in, we're in the business of mental health. Whether we like it or not, we are, and now we just have to start getting better at it. In these uh, last few years, I've had the great opportunity to work with Summit Point closely in, in uh, talking about their programs publicly. And one of the things that uh, we talked about recently was First Step, the Behavioral Health Urgent Care Center that's been open in the first 18 months. They've seen 5,000 people. I'm wondering if that has been helpful for you and your officers who have been on the front lines of this. Sounds like that's been the case. Well, those 5,000, where would they be going if right. that had not been there? So we, we already see it on a daily basis. Um, we, you know, roughly uh, 2,500 crisis intervention team calls. So law enforcement was involved, especially trained law enforcement was involved in these particular call, those particular calls. That's why we label them CIT calls for service. I would tell you those are the most obvious calls for service where someone is demonstrating signs of mental illness or they flat out say it or it's known. Another discussion is all the others and all the unknowns. That is another big challenge for all of us to try to figure out. But for those calls for service that are known, less than 1% go to jail, less than 1%. Consider if we didn't respond in that way, we didn't have that level of understanding. We didn't have first step. That's 5,000 plus the 2,500 that we dealt with that more than likely would have passed through the halls of justice, bogging it down 
frustrating for them and frankly, not getting any better, not getting the care that they need. We all know it, but it is the only answer. And that's fundamentally the wrong answer for a civilized society. We don't treat cancer this way. We don't treat strokes this way. Uh, Why in the world are we treating mental illness this way? And it's tough. So how does this affect what might be categorized as the more traditional calls for service? Do you see that the statistics have borne out that as you're responding to more mental health related calls, the traditional calls are less or still the same or growing as well? How is that working? Yeah, I I wish it was such an easy math problem. I I think some of the uh, proponents of getting law enforcement completely out of mental health calls yeah, in an ideal environment and situation, perfect. Matter of fact, already Summit Point responds to many calls throughout the year that we have nothing to do with. They already are. These are the calls that are coming in that are just in between a known case and the onset of mental illness, right? Or someone that has got a substance abuse disorder, or they have some sort of emotional distress at that moment that may be leading to a more serious case. That's what we're dealing with now. And that's what we will probably likely continue to have to deal with. So it isn't an either or proposition. It's an and proposition. But bottom line up front, no matter how someone suffering from mental illness enters into the system via mental health provided service specifically, law enforcement provided service or a mixture, there's still today nowhere to take them for aftercare. That's the issue. There's no systemic answer to this complex problem. And that's what we're all grappling with. And so we will continue to see horrific headlines of of folks doing extraordinarily horrific things to one another. And you just fill in the gaps with pick a headline. They're pretty easy to find. And you will find it is sourced in some sense or or mental illness generally. And we're going to continue with that problem until we as a society fix it and address it full on. One of the other conversations I've had recently was with the mayor, Mayor Benke, and and he encouraged the community to involve itself in in what he called community policing. How do you describe that, and how would that be most helpful for you? Well, he's right. Um, We have said all along there's never been a case we've solved on our own. We're just strictly the agency alone, the department did it all. Matter of fact, that's far from the truth. Most of our successful cases were a cooperating public that participated and were willing to participate in that really ugly, non-victim-oriented criminal justice system. We try to facilitate that, but, you know, we've never, not one police officer in the state of Michigan or really anywhere has ever charged anyone. We don't do that. We present the case. The prosecutor does. So already, once it hits the prosecutor's office, it's out of our hands. So that community... Uh, input, those first-person eyewitnesses and those in the know are critical to every case. It's rare that we get to have a front seat view of a crime in progress as officers. We're always there after the fact. We're always there listening to what witnesses are saying. And therefore, in court, we need those first-person witnesses to back up what was said to an officer. That's why it's critical in, in terms of a just structural perspective. But I tell you, a a smart public, an engaged public, no matter what the issue, a critical public is a well-informed public. And I think that's really, I think, maybe what the mayor is getting at. Um, And there are multiple ways to participate. Get to know your agency, do ride-alongs, participate in citizen police academies, 
Uh, there are youth police academies. There are simple things like if you have a ring camera system or any kind of camera, we don't just get into your systems. You have to give us access for a specific incident. But talk to us, share us, and say, hey, I heard there was a crime or whatever on my street. Someone vandalized mailboxes, for example. That seems to be a common issue. Or stolen packages. Uh, we're coming into the Christmas season. I have a ring camera. Law enforcement, you have permission for this period of time to get in there and or I will share with you the videos I have found and help you. We need that. And without it, we have a harder time catching these folks. Yeah, he did talk about the camera thing, too. And, and certainly just the see something, say something uh, perspective uh, that can be helpful to you, too. Right. Well, absolutely. Uh, we, we asked for that. And, you know, frankly, in, in many of our cases, that's exactly what happens. You know, we don't broadly advertise who's been talking, but I would say most of our homicides, I think we had 100% clearance rate last year. In other words, all of them, we knew who the suspect was. We only got there one way, and that's because we had cooperating uh, community members that supported it. Clearly, we work on the evidence to support what was said. Uh, that's our role. But ultimately, it was their cooperation that supported the charge. Chief Jim Blocker, we always appreciate checking in with you. So hopefully this uh, kicks off uh, a regular visit from time to time where we can uh, continue to have these kinds of conversations. So thank you. Thank you, Richard.